Well, let's see if we can't finish up uh, our thoughts from chapter 39 of the book of Genesis. If you want to turn there and just glance as we finish up a few thoughts. Chapter 39 of the book of Genesis. This chapter ends with Joseph being thrown into prison because he did the right thing, because he did not give in to temptation, the temptation to immorality. And after having done the right thing, now he gets unjustly accused and unjustly punished. You would think that one might be tempted to think, that Joseph might have been tempted to think, what's the point? What's the point of doing the right thing if I'm going to get punished anyway? I might as well have done the wrong thing and enjoyed the pleasure of the moment, and why not? It's going to end up the same anyway. And a lot of times because people think that way. When they do the right thing and they are walking in the will of God and they're obeying God's loving instruction for their life, and yet then the trial comes along, it's like God's punishing them for doing the right thing. And sometimes we might be tempted to think that. But let's read First Peter chapter 3, where Peter deals with that. In verses 13 to 17, gives us some truth to overcome that temptation, that way of thinking. First Peter chapter 3, we'll read verses 13 to 17. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the, the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Joseph is a perfect example of this obedience to this scripture, which, of course, he didn't have in his day. We have so much more revelation and so much more truth than Joseph had, and yet we see Joseph's faith soaring as an example to us even in this day. The suffering that may come in doing the will of God, as was the case with Joseph, Sometimes when we do the will of God, in the will of God, there is suffering. But the suffering is temporal, the Bible tells us, and the glory is eternal. And then looking the other direction of that, there is pleasure and sometimes profit in sin, but it doesn't last. And apart from the grace of God, the consequences of sin in our life there are eternal consequences. Again, I say apart from God's grace, and that is, first of all, for the sinner to apply the grace of God to receive forgiveness for their sins. But even for the child of God who falls short and fails, when the grace of God is applied in repentance, then God's grace is sufficient to cover those sins and to give us grace to deal with the scars. But for those who refuse to apply God's grace and to return to that path of righteousness, there's, e there's eternal losses and consequences for that moment and that pleasure of sin. And so Joseph seemed to understand that even without this fuller revelation that if it is the will of God, and, and it certainly was the will of God for Joseph 
to be thrown into that prison. And he didn't have all the answers yet. He had the revelation, the dreams that he gave him when he was just a child, just a young person. But he he clung to that revelation, to that God's purpose for him, even when things seemed to contradict that purpose. When Joseph would come, finally come to the throne in a time of famine, God was going to place him there to not only save Pharaoh and save the Egyptians, but to save his own family. And then, of course, the big picture is the Messiah was still to come through Abraham's descendants. And so God had a a big plan and purpose in all of these events of this one individual. But once he got there to the throne in order to save his, his family and to save the, the promise, if you will, of the coming Savior, he had to learn some things along the way before he got there. He wasn't just going to put him in the throne and everything was automatically, he was just going to understand everything. No, we, we've talked about as we've gone through the lesson here that when he would come to the, to the throne, he was going to have to understand business and economics. I mean, he was going to financially save the empire with what he needed to do. And so when he traveled as a slave with the merchants, he learned how to buy and sell. He learned how to move commodities, which he was going to have to do a lot of, how to store things and where to store them, how to logistics of business. God sent him to that school as a slave sold by his brothers unjustly, and yet God used it to give him that education. And then in Potiphar's house, he learned to, how to administer things. He learned how to invest. Potiphar grew wealthy under Joseph's administration, but it was a learning process for, for Joseph. God was with him. God showed him and taught him in the midst of his slavery in the midst of his trial, and now we see him thrown into a prison that is full of political prisoners, the king's prison. And so everyone that the king had a beef with, he threw him in there. And of course, many of those were politicians, members of the court that somehow crossed Pharaoh and ended up in prison. Politicians are a difficult bunch to deal with. They all have their own agenda, and they all tend to uh, hide that agenda and be deceitful. Joseph, when he would come to the throne, he was going to have to learn to deal with a lot of politicians who probably didn't like this young upstart coming in the Pharaoh showing him favor when some of these guys had been politicians forever. And now Joseph is all of a sudden exalted. I'm, I'm sure there were some people that hated him. And Joseph had to learn how to deal with them and how to handle them. Where did he learn that? In a prison full of the king's enemies. It's easy for us. I, I, I love Joseph's history. And it's so easy for us to, to see all these lessons and to see his attitude. And yeah, they, that's wonderful. He goes through those things and yet such faith and such always the right attitude, always the right response. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Does any of this apply to us? Does any of this apply to our trials? Can we... Accept them from the hands of a loving, wise father? It's not easy, and it is not my first response. It takes faith and obedience to to stop and say, okay, who's in control of my life? 
I'm not a victim of my circumstances if I'm trusting the Lord. I know he has a plan for me. I know he has a purpose. I may not know what this purpose is he's doing with this trial, with this unpleasant circumstance or situation. I don't have to pretend to know. I don't, I don't think Joseph knew what God was doing. God just did as Joseph trusted him. God just did the work in him and through him. And I think he can do the same with us if, if we'll come to that same place. And the Lord knows your heart. He knows your confusion. There's no, no sense of trying to hide it. It's, Lord, I don't understand this, but give me wisdom to do what I need to do today. Give me wisdom to respond in a way that others can see Christ in me in the midst of difficult situations. Our trials, we need to see them as an education. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. That's the, that's the offer. That's the promise to those who trust him. But before we can sit on the throne, we need a little education. And these trials are just that. Trust me. I'm teaching you how to overcome. Let's go to James chapter 1. If we have that understanding of our trials, passages like James 1 and verses 2 through 8, James 1 and verse 2, makes a little more sense. Otherwise, this, this passage is just, just foolishness. This, this is impossible. doesn't even make sense why he would say this. But when you understand in the light of Scripture and, and in the light of Joseph's experience and how God used his trials and his tragedies, his injustices, in order to fulfill his purpose in and through Joseph, then this passage makes a little more sense when we understand that. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And, and do you see, apart from faith, that's just silliness. Why in the world would I be joyful about any kind of suffering? Knowing, that's, that's the key. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You wait on God. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing for what? Lacking nothing to be everything God intended for you to be in this life and in eternity. If any of you lacks wisdom, I do. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's a promise. Now, God may not tell you everything he's doing through the trial, but if you ask him for wisdom for the next step, the promise is he'll give it to you if you're willing to receive it. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So we need to ask him in faith, Lord, I know you're working this for my good. I don't know how. I don't like it, but I trust you. That's the life of faith because there is suffering. There are trials. The, the Bible is clear about that. But like in Joseph's case, we read over and over, and the Lord was with him. Joseph was a slave, and the Lord was with him. Joseph was thrown in the king's prison, and the Lord was with him. Whatever your trial is, the Lord is with you. 
You're not suffering alone. Trust him. Rest in him. And he'll give that peace that in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your questions, in the midst of your tears, there'll be that understanding, you know, I'm all right. This life is so short, so quickly passing. Eternity is forever. The glory is forever. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Romans chapter 5 and verses 3 to 5. Again, this is one of those passages that you can't understand, makes no sense, unless you understand that God has an eternal purpose that nothing can overthrow, and that the trials, we often look at just being obstacles, and we understand we have an enemy, and he does want to use those trials as obstacles. We understand that. But in that very same trial, God is doing a work of preparation for eternity. And so if we despair and murmur and complain, then we're giving in to Satan's obstacles. We're going to trip and fall. But if in that trial we continue to trust the Lord and to do what he wants us to do, to call upon him for wisdom, how do I respond to this? What's my next step? How should I really respond to these things? Then we're learning to rule with Christ. We can reign. Paul talks about reigning in this life. Romans 5 and verses 3 to 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, glory, boast in them, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. We endure victoriously. We continue to do what we're supposed to do. We endure it. We persevere. And perseverance, character, that is a proven character. It proves that our faith is genuine, that we have joy when we shouldn't have joy. We have peace when we shouldn't have peace. Our faith is proven to be real. We're we're given wisdom to succeed in what he's called us to do. And character, hope, that certain expectation, because my faith has sustained me, that I persevere through this thing, and Satan has not robbed me of my joy or of my obedience to the Lord, it, it, it is just a glimpse of that eternal purpose that we have when Jesus comes, when this life is over. That's why we glory in tribulations, because we know God's doing the work. We know he's being faithful. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit has has revealed God loves us. Therefore, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. So no matter what your trial is, whether it has to do with home or work or relationships, finances, whatever the trial, physical, sickness, emotional, look to God for him to teach you more about himself, more about his love, more about his eternal plan and purpose and and how this life is only a preparation for eternity. Even if your trial lasts all of your all of the rest of your life, it's quickly gone. That life is quickly gone, the trial is quickly gone, but the glory is eternal. Joseph didn't become bitter. He didn't become angry, which would have been a typical human response, don't you think? did the right thing. God threw me in jail. Why, why would I serve him anymore? A lot of Christians have fallen in the, on the side of the road in despair. Why did God forsake me? Rather than trust him. 2 Corinthians 4. But in the trial, Joseph became 
an example of what God's grace will do in the midst of difficult situations. In Potiphar's house, he became the best administrator Potiphar had ever had. Potiphar left everything to him. And Potiphar recognized it was because of his faith in Jehovah, because apparently Joseph talked about Jehovah. Because of your God, thrown in prison, and now he's in charge of the prison. He's a prisoner. And as we'll read in the next chapter, we probably won't get to it tonight, but if you want to read ahead, though he became the head prisoner of the, of the prison, it's clear that Joseph didn't want to be there, that he was still a prisoner. Because when he had the opportunity that he helped someone, as we'll see, he said, remember me and get me out of here. I want out. And that's okay. That, that wasn't lack of faith. I mean, who wants to be in a prison? Who wants to suffer? Who wants to have a trial? I don't. If I, you know, if the Lord's going to give me a vote, no trials, please. Joseph didn't want to be in prison, but while he was there, his testimony shined as one who found his faith and hope in Jehovah and didn't complain about his circumstance. And there's, there's a number of lessons that we're going to learn about his attitude as a prisoner that again, they're just his his life and his faith. It's just it's a challenge to me. Second Corinthians four seven to fifteen, Paul talked about letting this treasure shine, this life of Christ in us, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of trials, so others can see. And so Paul writes and he says, "But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us." Now, that treasure, you read it in context, it could be several things. It could be the gospel itself. It could be the very life of Christ in us. It's all connected. It's hard to dissect it. But when we talk about our faith in Jesus, when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's a treasure in these earthen vessels. And an earthen vessel, it's pretty fragile, isn't it? We're easily broken. But when people see a strength in us, when they see something desirable. In, in all of these places, Potiphar saw something in Joseph that was of value. The head prison guard saw something in Joseph. He was, he was a, a man just like everybody else, like all the other prisoners, but there was something different about him. He was seeing the glory of Jehovah in Joseph. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Do people see Christ in us? Do they see the reality of our faith in the gospel? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. How many of you have claustrophobia? When I was working constructions, there are times when I'd have to go under a house at just about two-foot crawl space. I did not like it. And you'd think the whole building's going to fall down and crush you. Sometimes you're in a trial and you feel like this, the world's going to crush you. We're in tight places at times, but we're not crushed. God will always make a way. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We have questions, but we're never without hope. The Apostle Paul tells us this was a reality in his own experience. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Yeah, we've got an enemy, but we're not left alone to fight him. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Oh, we can get the wind knocked out of us, but Satan can't take away our eternal life. We can always get back up. 
always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. What is the death of Jesus? It is a full surrender to the will of the Father. That's what Jesus did, right? That's why Jesus went to the cross. It was the will of the Father. And when he was raised from the dead, the power of God was seen in that resurrection. The same can be true in our life if we will live a life for the will to do the will of the Father. Sacrifice our will, surrender it to his will. And when we do that, the power of God will be seen in us by others. That treasure. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also be, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now in Paul's life and experience, he was almost daily, literally, faced with physical death. But he knew it didn't matter. He knew one day he would lay down his life. So then death is working in us, but life in you. When we live for others, that seed that we plant in their life, when it takes root, it will be for eternity. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. Did you get that? All things are for your sakes. Going to prison was for Joseph's best interest and ours. Being sold by his brothers was for Joseph's good. All things are for your sake. God is using all of those things. When we surrender our will to his, he uses everything we experience for our good and his glory. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Are we willing to lay down our life? Can we follow Joseph's example of faith in the midst of injustices, unpleasantness, the difficulties of life? God has given us a clear revelation and a clear vision of what his plan and purpose is for us. We're going to heaven. Our home, our destiny is glory. It's eternal life. We've been given the opportunity to sit in the throne with Jesus Christ, to be close to the one who laid down his life for us. That opportunity, and we'll, Lord willing, Sunday we'll look at what's required for us to obtain that place, but it, it really comes down to these same basic essentials, faith, love, faithfulness. I think we'll stop there before we look into chapter 40. We'll look at that next week, Lord willing.